Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me on this episode as we take a look at the Orange Bowl that the Gators will be playing in against Virginia is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion that this would be the matchup once we saw the rankings come out last week and everything that was going to take place this weekend. But official word is going to be Florida and Virginia in the Orange Bowl in Miami. Yeah, really the only way it was going to maybe not turn out this way is if Joe Burrow threw another couple touchdown passes <laughs> against Georgia. And and he was trying. They were they were trying there towards the end. But uh, you know, 37 to 10, I'll take that kind of beating of Georgia any 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 day. And and there was some thought maybe that Georgia might fall below Florida just because of sort of the way they looked against LSU. But obviously the committee uh, valued the head-to-head win over Florida and, and valued some other guys a little bit maybe higher mm-hmm. than Florida than we might have thought. And so the Gators are sitting at ninth and get a chance to prove themselves against Virginia in the Orange Bowl. Absolutely. So plenty to talk about, of course. We'll get into uh, the rest of the college football uh, playoff rankings. Uh, of course, plenty of talk of Florida and Virginia uh, here in the Orange Bowl there. We'll get your uh, Twitter reactions as well as for your reactions. So a lot of you had uh, some uh some good thoughts on uh, how this all played out for the Gators, but uh, you know we'll we'll take a look at all that. But remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, like a lot of you are watching live right now on YouTube, so thank you much for that. Uh, but also um, share, rate, and review the show, and follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So. Yep, that's the matchup. Florida and Virginia in the Orange Bowl, as we said, pretty much a foregone conclusions. We'll see. You know, a lot of games had to play out over the weekend, but uh, this is the one everybody pretty much uh, saw coming. And, you know, uh, Florida released a statement uh, here today uh, as well. But quick summary here. This will be Florida's fourth Orange Bowl appearance, uh, and it has a 3-0 and record in the previous outings. Uh, Gators upset number eight, Georgia Tech, 27-12 uh, in 1967. Routed number 15, Syracuse, 31 to 10 in 99, and dominated number 10, Maryland, 56 to 23 in 2002. So a good history for the Gators by playing in this uh, Orange Bowl down in Miami. Uh, Florida, of course, uh, the biggest win there, not in the Orange Bowl, uh, but in that same stadium 
Uh, Florida defeated Oklahoma uh, for the uh, 2009 BCS National Championship, the 2008 season uh, champion uh, as well, with Florida beat Oklahoma 24 uh, to 14 uh, there. So, of course, Florida 10 and 2, 6 and 2 in the SEC will face Virginia 9 and 4, 6 and 2 in the ACC uh, as they're coming off uh, their beatdown. Uh, uh, lost to Clemson uh, in the ACC championship game uh, on Saturday. These two teams will be meeting for the second time in school history. The only other meeting between the two was on October 3rd, 1959, and the uh, ni- number 19 Gators came away with a 55-10 to 10 victory uh, in Gainesville there. So this makes uh, Florida's 45th all-time bowl appearance, 23-21 and 21 in the previous bowl games. It will be the 19th time the Gators play um, you know, like New Year's uh, Six, New Year's Day, uh, you know, hot, hot one of these, one of these New Year's Six uh, bowls there. Uh, so, um, and with a win, Florida will record their eighth, eleventh win season in program history and first since two thousand twelve. Uh, and Dan Mullen uh, did have some things to say because we're looking forward to our trip to Miami uh, to play in the Orange Bowl and the second consecutive New Year Six bowl game. Our players and staff have done a great job all year focusing on how we could get better every day along with developing our mental and physical toughness throughout the year. We finished strong, put ourselves in position to win 11 games. Our staff has been busy recruiting and the team is preparing for final exams this week. So we'll, of course, Dan Mullen mentioned it, uh, mentioned the staff's been busy recruiting and look, this is one advantage of playing in the orange bowl versus say the sugar bowl. That was the other bowl that we were kind of maybe looking at Florida getting, uh, as you mentioned with the LSU Georgia game, however, however that may play out. If Georgia was to win that game, uh, they would have had you know, two teams in the playoff. Florida would have moved up to the sugar bowl. So there's been a lot of talk about what bowl game would be better uh, serve for Florida to play in orange bowl or, or sugar bowl. But one advantage uh, of playing in the orange bowl is you'll be playing in, uh, down there in South Florida. You'll be down there uh, around uh, among a bunch of a bunch of South Florida recruits. So you know one big advantage. Uh, of course, you got to take advantage of it there. Of course, but one one advantage of playing in this Orange Bowl is uh, Florida being uh, being in the eyes of recruits and being in the ears of recruits down there in South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the places where Florida's going to need to draw from over the next few years. Certainly got Miami sort of down right now under under Diaz. You got Florida State going through the transition now with Norvell. And so it's an opportunity where you're the only one who's going to be live in the state on prime time down in Miami, and you'll have an opportunity to potentially have some recruits, um, you know, get get to the game on their own dime, whereas they wouldn't necessarily be able to go out to Louisiana to do that. The other thing is, is it is on the 30th. It's not on it's not on New Year's Day, and I think New Year's Day is traditionally thought of as the time for bowl games, and it's something where people look at that and say, hey, you played in a New Year's Bowl, but at the same time having that game isolated nothing else going on at the same time and not having it around all the other bulls maybe does get you a few more eyes that you might not have gotten had it been on new year's day. So, um, I think there's some advantages to the orange bowl. Obviously I think, I think, uh, the, the Virginia versus, versus somebody like Baylor, I think maybe the competition isn't right where you'd want it to be, but you know, you can only play the people who are in front of you. You can only play the people that they've given you. And if you go out and beat the teams you're supposed to beat the way you're supposed to beat them, then eventually people have to give you the respect that you need. And the next time it comes to the playoff positioning, Florida will have an advantage. Well, overall, your thoughts, man. Uh, of course, I've been going out there on social media and, and Twitter, and a lot of fans had let it be known heading leading up to this week that the excitement around Virginia wasn't all that much. And, and this, and look, Virginia, this game pretty much come about because uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, last last week, uh, that game last week, and the winner of that game was going to go go on to play Clemson, but that game was also more than likely 
to to go to the Orange Bowl. Uh, Virginia Tech had been rolling, uh, favored in that game, and here we, here we go. Virginia ends up winning that game, but, but then, like I said, gets shellacked by by Clemson in the ACC championship game. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's not a high name opponent. Virginia with Bronco Bronco Mendenhall uh, you know, since he's come over from BYU has made Virginia uh, a better team here. But name brand name recognition, yeah, you probably would rather have seen if you know if you were getting this Orange Bowl, you would rather have seen a, a Florida Virginia Tech, a, a team with a a football tradition, a, uh, a program more known for football than anything else and any other sport there. So it's you know, still a good opponent here. I, I think it's um, you know it's a game Florida should win, but on the surface, a, a game getting excited about, you know, probably the more, the most exciting part of this game is actually getting to play in Miami, getting to play in the state of Florida more so than the opponent. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because Virginia was down <laughs> was down in Miami earlier this year to play the Hurricanes. And so they're going to be a little bit shocked. They're, they won't know how to play in the stadium when it actually has people in it. But, <laughs> but I, I think, I, I think, you know, look, I, I know you're not going to be able to convince anybody that Virginia is a prime, is a prime opponent for Florida. They're not, but at the yep. same time, they're nine and four. They're the second best team in the ACC. And, and you, it says something about the ACC. I think it also says something about the SEC in terms of the depth of the leagues and Florida, it furthers the point when when Florida or anyone else in the SEC says that this is the prime conference in in college football. If you go out there and demolish these teams when they go in front of you, so you know, I obviously won't root for Georgia in the Sugar Bowl because I'm constitutionally incapable of rooting for the Bulldogs. But everywhere else, I'll, I'll be rooting for the SEC, and I hope they do well because you want to you want to show that the conference is better than everyone else. And I mean, you know, over the last couple of decades, they have. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed for this one, but that's more because of Virginia Tech. So yeah. Virginia Tech beats Virginia like a drum for 15 straight years. And then the one year where Virginia Tech has an opportunity <laughs> to play Florida in the Orange Bowl, they lay an egg against Virginia and, and, and allow the Cavaliers to get in there. So certainly I have a little bit more animus for, for Virginia than other people do since I've spent some time at Virginia Tech. And my family actually grew up in Blacksburg. So um, there, there's an awful lot of animosity towards Virginia there in that state. And uh, from a recruiting standpoint, going on the national stage and getting beat by beat by 60 is going to help Virginia Tech. So obviously I'm, I'm going to hope for that too. But now, I mean, I, look, I think as we get about a week out from this game, people will get excited. This is not like the Michigan game where there was sort of the the 2017 revenge for Felipe Frank's first game and and seeing how far Dan Mullen had taken the program and you know you were nine and three going into it but if you get the double digit wins that really sort of set an expectation for 2019 you know I think people are sitting everything that you think about the Florida program is already baked into the cake there's not really anything that we're sitting here saying oh we don't know this about it we don't know that about it. the only place where it's not baked into the cake is the recruiting piece of it. And that's something that, so I think most people are going to pay attention to that, the early signing day coming up. And then obviously national signing day in February, more so than they will the bowl game. Uh, Tony Aguilini has shared this uh, a couple of times here. And I remember also reading it in the uh, Florida, that Florida vault book is like a history of Florida football or whatever. And there is a connection uh, of Florida and Virginia and Virginia, uh, the, the connection there is them actually helping Florida get the nickname Gators uh, there. So I'll quickly uh, read uh, the uh, the article here that was shared by Tony Aguilini. It says, a Jacksonville lawyer Christian, the University of Florida's football team, 41 years ago. So uh, this is reprinted from a Florida Times Union article in, in 1948. So, uh, But it says, yeah, Jacksonville lawyer Christian, the University of Florida football team, 41 years ago when he gave a pennant designing uh, him – uh, uh, well, it's hard to read there, uh, but basically suggesting uh, uh, the alligators uh, there. So Austin Miller, who has practiced law 
here since shortly after his graduation from the University of Virginia in 1910, yesterday recalled the circumstances surrounding the choice of a name for Florida's university athletic teams. It happened in the fall of 1907, a year after the Florida uh, University of Gainesville uh, had fielded its first team. Uh, Miller, a native of Gainesville, was enrolled at the University of Virginia at the time and was visited by his father, Philip Miller, a Gainesville merchant. The elder Miller, who died nine years ago, then owned and operated a combination drugstore and stationery store in Gainesville, a popular rendezvous for university students. While in Charlottesville, the father decided to order some pennants and banners for the University of Florida from the uh, Michi Company, which was engaged in the manufacture of such items. So uh, the Millers went to the firm where they were shown samples of pennants which featured the Yale Bulldog, the Princeton Tiger, and other school emblems. When the manager asked for Florida's emblem, the Millers realized the school had none. So Austin Miller said the name Alligators occurred to him as a suitable emblem, both because the manager said no other school had adopted it and because the alligator was native to the state. So he goes, I had no idea if it would stick or even be popular with the student body. Uh, so we wanted to get the firm started on the pennants as quickly as possible, though, and they would be available in time for the opening of the 1908 school term. So there you go. Somebody uh, with a connection to the University of Virginia there uh, had helped come up with the uh, name Florida Gators. So, well, there's a little neat connection there. All the apparel money that comes in is all traced back to the University of Virginia. So <laughs> we're going back in time for that one there, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a pretty neat story. I remember, like I said, I remember Tony sharing it. Uh, I also remember the the, the story that kind of uh, you know, pinged in my head there of uh, how Florida got the uh, nickname Alligators Gators, uh, of course, there. So pretty pretty neat connection there uh, for these two T schools when they get together. So uh, speaking of Virginia, of course, you know, we'll quickly look at them in Nine and four, uh, of course, and you kind of go through their schedule here. They started uh, with a win over Pitt, thirty to fourteen, in the season opener uh, there. Then William and Mary, fifty-two to seventeen win. Then they played Florida State in week three and beat Florida State thirty-one to twenty-four. Uh, you know, seven-point win there, and a game that went down to the wire uh, against FSU. And then Old Dominion, they beat twenty-eight to seventeen. Then back-to-back losses to Notre Dame and Miami. A 35 to 20 loss to Notre Dame. And then they went down, we'll just mention it, they went down to Miami on a Friday night, only put up nine points, lost 17 to nine uh, to, to, to a Miami team. Then they bounced back there with a 48 14 victory over Duke. And then another loss here to 28 21 to Louisville. And then went on a streak here toward the end of the season where they uh, beat North Carolina 38 31, Georgia Tech 33 to 28. Liberty 55 to 27. And then as Will mentioned, the season finale against Virginia Tech last week where they won 39 to 30. And as we mentioned earlier, then they lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game 62 uh, to 17. So Will, they are the only other team in the ACC ranked uh, besides Clemson here. So, uh, and we just took a look uh, at their schedule. So, you know, no really big wins on the schedule. Virginia Tech, probably the biggest win uh, of the season here. But uh, two teams that are that we're familiar with, FSU and Miami, beat FSU by seven. And then the kind of the inexcusable loss to Miami on a Friday night. Well, that's kind of the story of the ACC this year, at least for everybody besides Clemson. I know Dabo gets upset when people make fun of the ACC, but every team in there is a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, and sometimes they play well on the road. Sometimes they play terrible at home. It's just been something where, you know, I think at one point every team in the Coastal Division was 7-4 and four or 7-3 and three or something earlier this year, and, and that's sort of what you get when you look at the ACC. So the separation between 
team two and team nine is relatively minimal there. And that, and that's why you get something where Virginia is the only team that's ranked and, you know, they're the highest team that's ranked, but are they necessarily the best team? I, I don't know. You look at their schedule, five of those games are close games. Um, and I, it looks like they went four and well, three and two in those close games. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think uh, in a time when the league is down, this was an opportunity for Brocko Mendenhall to maybe take advantage of some of those close games, take advantage of some of the traditional powers in the ACC being down. I mean, because regardless of what you think of Florida State and Miami, those are teams that even in years when they haven't been great have been much better than Virginia has been. And this year just really isn't the case with both of those guys at six and six. And then, you know, Duke absolutely demolished Virginia Tech, but then Virginia demolishes Duke. And again, that's sort of the way the ACC has been this year. So, um, you know, there are a few surprising things when you look at Virginia. I mean, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is surprising is that, that they seem to be a team that accomplishes more through the air than I would have expected based on Bryce Perkins, their quarterback. And so I, I do think that there are some things that, that Flor- that's going to be a challenge for Florida, but I also think there's some things when you look at their defense that sort of sets up to, to favor the Gators as well. Yeah, not a lot of prep time here for for, for Will and I when looking at Virginia. So we will quickly go down uh, just some things we noticed. So yeah, as Will mentioned, we we both noticed it right before coming on here. We were looking at Virginia. Yeah, I mean, when you look at them on the surface or when you just turn a game on and, and watch them just for a few minutes, you expect it, especially because of Bronco Mendenhall being their head coach, you really expected this team to be more of a smash-mouth uh three, four yard, whether it be with the running back or, or, or quarterback power run game. But no, uh, this is a team that does throw the ball uh, pretty good. Uh, throws for 300, 263 and a half yards per game. That was good for 37th in the country. Uh, there's so, you know top 40 passing offense here. Rushing yards per game, 126 and a half. That was only good for 111th. So they're around, you know, Florida's range uh, in running the ball. Uh, 32.4 points uh, a game. That was good for 47th in the country uh, when and 26 point, uh, 26 and a half points uh, scored uh, against them there. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a team that can provide some trouble uh, for Florida just because of, you know, Bryce Perkins and what he's able to do uh, from the quarterback position, whether it be through the air, whether it be on the ground, uh, thrown for 3,215 yards and 18 touchdowns. But he's also their leading rusher, and we mentioned the the, the trouble of them running the ball. Uh, well, you know, the, the quarterback is their leading rusher, 745 yards uh, on the year on 213 carries and 11 touchdowns there. So, Will, I mean, yeah, we know how important the quarterback position is, but uh, you, you look at uh, what you can do quickly to maybe limit uh, what Virginia does, and that's pretty much stopping Bryce Perkins. Yeah, absolutely. But even when you look at Perkins, I mean, I I only have his stats from before the bull, or from before the game with Clemson Clemson because I haven't updated him yet. But basically, for the year, seven point one four yards per attempt, three point five one yards per rush, just slightly below average when you look at him based on yards above replacement. You look at his at his uh, at his passer rating; it's not necessarily that much above average either. He's a decent quarterback, not a fantastic one, and so. I think one of the things, but still, when you look at their offense, they're 91st in yards per play, they're 38th in yards per attempt, and then they're 98th in yards per rush against FBS opponents. So they're not necessarily going to be running the ball over the place. They're going to have to rely on Perkins. And this year, those have really sort of been the teams that Florida has feasted on are teams that you can make one-dimensional teams that you can um, that you can isolate what they want to do. Now, obviously, we'll see who all is going
going to be playing for the Gators when 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 this game happens because obviously you know CJ Henderson isn't going to be there and there may be some other guys who who choose to to prepare for the draft but I think based on what we've seen thus far from Florida when they have somebody that they can convert into a one-dimensional opponent, then it becomes something that they're able to take advantage of. In the games against Georgia, you know, they had a hard time. They, they stopped Swift, but he still was effective enough to get Georgia into third and short. And then obviously they didn't stop anybody when they were playing LSU. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but nobody stopped anybody when they played LSU. So, right. but when they played a one-dimensional team like Auburn, where Auburn wanted to run the ball and they knew they could put the ball in Nix's hands, they were able to stop that offense and and sort of the whole way through the year whenever they had that opportunity. So they put the game on Jaron Williams for for Miami and he wasn't able to come through. They put it on Nix for Auburn. He wasn't able to come through. And this one, it's going to be on Perkins, and we'll see what they're able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Here, so let's we'll we'll get uh, some of our listeners' thoughts here. Uh, a lot of thoughts uh, from listeners uh, as far as playing Florida playing in the Orange Bowl. Before we do that, I'll go through the college football playoff rankings because that goes into a lot of what the ire is from the Gator fan base uh, so far. So let's go through uh, the college football playoff rankings. These will be the final college football playoff rankings. Uh, the CFP committee does not update their rankings uh, after the bowl game. They just let the, uh, you know, the final four play out and there's your champion. So they, this is, this will be the final college football playoff rankings uh, for the 2019 season. LSU 13 and 0 at number one. Number two is Ohio state Clemson. Number three, Oklahoma rounds up the top four. So LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. You'll have LSU versus Oklahoma and Ohio State versus Clemson. Surprisingly, Georgia stays, well, not stays, but gets to number five after dropping just one spot after their loss to LSU. Oregon winning the Pac-12 goes up to number six. Baylor number seven. Wisconsin number eight. Florida stays at nine. Penn State number 10. Utah falls to 11. Uh, and we'll go just go through the top 15 here for just a, the sake of it. Auburn, number 12, Alabama, 13, Michigan, 14, Notre Dame, 15. So we'll get Will's thoughts on the, uh, the, the rankings here. But, you know, a lot of it plays into um, what a lot of you guys uh, sent me and your reaction here uh, to Florida playing in the Orange Bowl. And Doc Wells, seven, says, not excited about the opponent, but thinking playing, my, playing in Miami will pay big dividends in recruiting unlike Georgia playing against a much more motivated team in Baylor, extra practice recruitment and prime bowl. What's not to like. So, well, part of it is look, yeah, Florida gets a new year's six bowl, uh, two years in a row. Florida's in, in, in a, in, in a big game. Dan Mullen's first two years here, here, here's Florida playing in another new year's six bowl. You look at the other polls, uh, the AP poll and the coaches poll, Florida's right there. It's, uh, you know, I think six, I, I know at least six in one of them, I think seven, uh, in the other, so higher in those polls than they are. Uh, the you know the committee doesn't think as high as Florida as the uh, as the AP poll voters and the and, and the coaches do. So that's kind of interesting there with Florida staying at nine and and, and higher in the other polls. But uh, going back to the recruiting part of this, and you know, I think it can be made too much of. Uh, I've always said recruiters recruit, good recruiters recruit. So yeah, does it help Florida to be in the minds of these South Florida recruits? Absolutely, especially with what Florida State and Miami is going through. But you still got to go finish the job uh, there. So it, 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 it is a step uh, in, in recruiting, a step in the right direction there. But more importantly, you know, it, probably, and it really doesn't matter what bowl game you're in, bowl practices. And, you know, you still get the same amount of bowl practices uh, that, you know, no matter what bowl game you're playing in. So, But this probably is the top tier, top reason to be 
to go to a bowl game is get these extra practices. It's basically like a another spring practice. You you get the importance of playing in these. And as Will mentioned, we don't know who's going to be playing for Florida. You know, Jonathan Grenard, Jabar Zaniga, uh, Michael P. Ryan all have these decisions to make whether they're going to play in this bowl game or not. So I expect that I expect to hear some some of those guys aren't going to play in the bowl game. So we're going to see some young guys. We're going to see a lot of young guys probably play in this game, but more importantly, get a whole lot of bowl practice coming up, Will. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing I want to see in this month coming up is the offensive line and whether the offensive line improves and whether they're able to start being a more balanced team. You know, Mullen, last year, Florida ran the ball 61% of the time over the the entire year. This year, they're at 44%. So he's clearly made a – made an adjustment to rely on Trask, rely on the quarterback, rely on the, the throwing game. But you don't want to do that permanently. I mean, you want to you want to build up to where you're balanced and the, and the defense doesn't necessarily know what you're going to do. Now, obviously, you'd like to be explosive in both sides of the game so that you can be 60-40 one game if you want and then 40-60 the next. So what the offensive line is going to do during these practices, I think, is maybe the thing that, that I'm going to be looking at the, the hardest. But you know, I, I think one of the things that the rankings do sort of tell us is that they clearly this year at least valued the conference championship games. Mm-hmm. And that if you got into that conference championship game, then you were then then they valued that immensely. And Florida, you know, I think Florida had quality losses that you could say were better than Wisconsin's or better than uh, better than Oregon's. But when you started looking for quality wins, the only one that was on there really was Auburn. And so those two FCS games start to take a toll when you start looking at teams in that capacity. Now, I think you could argue that playing New Mexico State, who's like 124th <laughs> versus playing Towson, you know, you're sort of splitting hairs there. But again, scheduling makes a difference. And Scott Strickland's starting to take care of that with some of these home and homes that he's putting together with, with, with some larger programs. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the bowl practices are important, but I also think that the the perception of taking care of business against an inferior team, if this mm. game ends up 20 to 17, people walk out of it and go, yeah, you kind of deserve to be ranked where you were. If the game ends up 50 to 7, then okay, that you have a different sort of taste in your mouth heading into next year. And, and obviously, if you lose the game, then the taste is very, very different. But, um, you know, it gives you an opportunity to set what set what's going on over the over both the bowl practices, but then also spring practice and, and fall practice getting ready for next year. Uh, Gator Rillis says uh, in relation to a lot of the, the rankings and stuff like that, you know, in a way it doesn't matter for Florida. Florida's going to play in the orange bowl, no matter if they were ranked fifth, sixth, or, you know, where they're at at ninth, Florida was pretty much locked in uh, to the orange bowl here, but you know, it does help for perception reasons. So he goes, notice that every team in the top 25 that played in a conference title game stayed the same moved up one spot or moved down one spot, win or lose, except uh, the Pac-12 game where Oregon moved up seven spots and Utah moved down five spots. Uh, they really have no clue what they were doing, talking about the committee there. And, uh, you know, for this, it was funny to see Utah jump up so high uh, at, at one point and you know, make this Pac-12 game uh, e- e- even bigger uh, there. And then Oregon jumping up so high after that. And, and as he says, Utah falling – I, I think there's a legitimate gripe for Florida not to be ranked behind Oregon. Uh, Oregon lost to Auburn. Florida beat Auburn. And well, Oregon's other loss, uh, Arizona State, much worse loss than Georgia or LSU. So I get the the argument. I know conference championships mean something, but how many times did we hear you know th- that the Pac-12 wasn't going to get their champion in? And they didn't. And what, what does that mean? That means the – the uh, the stature, the reputation of the Pac-12 isn't up there with the with with the SEC. 
But here we are again where the committee chose to put Oregon ahead of Florida when they lost to a team Florida beat. And they have, comparatively, when you start looking at top 10 teams, a pretty bad loss to Arizona State. Yeah, I mean, I guess the gripe with the committee would be is that if you're going to not move teams down significantly when they lose, then – so basically what it means is that the conference championship weekend is only an opportunity to to improve your case because you look at Oregon, they obviously jump up. Georgia drops one spot. Um, you know, Baylor doesn't go down very far. Actually, Baylor didn't move at all. Wisconsin didn't move at all. So when you look at teams like that, okay, well, if, if – I mean, now – I think Wisconsin losing to a team that's in the playoff and Baylor losing to a team that's in the playoff isn't necessarily a, a black mark on the record, but certainly Oregon beating Utah didn't make that Auburn game go away. It, did, it didn't make the fact that they made Bo Nix in his first start look like an all-star and, and, and Florida made him look like the freshman that he is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always a gripe whenever you've got humans ranking things, but there was always a gripe when you had computer ranking things. So... <laughs> I tended to prefer the computers, but obviously that's kind of because of the way I'm wired and and that I like taking the bias out of it as much as I can. But at the same time, then those FCS games would have hurt Florida even more if you had it in the computer. So I, I think at the you know the point that you made earlier where it really doesn't matter where you start, what matters is how many of these guys lose. So if Georgia goes and lays an egg in the Sugar Bowl, if Oregon goes and loses in, in their bowl, Baylor goes and loses in their bowl, then Florida's going to jump up. If those guys all win their bowls, then Florida will, will stay where they're at. That maybe is the thing that I think is is more disappointing is all the bowl tie-ins. Yeah. You end up you end up playing a really low, uh, significantly lower ranked Virginia team versus playing a team like Baylor or Wisconsin or Oregon. Like I'd like to see the game Florida Wisconsin. That'd be a fun one. Yeah, very a contrast in styles. You know, Wisconsin can't can't beat Ohio State. Florida this year couldn't beat LSU or Georgia, so they've kind of got similar profiles. Let's see who's better. As opposed to you know, <laughs> Wisconsin playing somebody out in out in the Rose Bowl, I guess, and and Florida going to 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 Miami to play Virginia. So that I think is maybe the thing that the the college football should look to maybe correct is some of the bowl tie-ins. You should at least have to earn something. They do that with the group of five teams, right? I mean, you have to be a certain, or at least you used to have to be a certain ranking in order to get into one of these big games. I think maybe we should explore that with these conferences as well. That, you know, if you're not top 15, you're not going to get into one of these New Year's Six Bowls um, just because you haven't deserved it then. Yeah, I mean, the Orange Bowl, the way it's set up was it's contractually obligated for them to take an ACC team. So that is why Virginia's in there. I know a lot of people have, have asked me about that out there. Uh, Orange Bowl contractually, contractually obligated to take an ACC team. So Virginia was the only other one ranked. Uh, of course, they were going to be in there. The but that's, t- also, that's also a little bit screwy, too, because Notre Dame is essentially an ACC team. Right, but here's the here's the thing about that. They can they could have actually played Virginia again. Like the other side of the Orange Bowl equation is the higher ranked SEC, Big Ten, or Notre Dame. So it, it, it's weird. Like, why don't you just put Notre Dame on the other side of it? Why don't you put Notre Dame on the ACC side of it? Because it would it, first first of all, it save you from a potential rematch of an ACC team and Notre Dame. Plus, it give you a better matchup. You'd have this. You could have had Notre Dame, Florida, uh, say, say for this year. So, yeah, well, I completely agree with you. Put Notre Dame on the ACC side of it instead of the opposite side of it. But now you're actually asking the college football powers that be <laughs> to, to make sense. Yeah. And, and the Orange Bowl's job is to protect the Orange Bowl. The Rose Bowl's job and, is to protect and, the Rose Bowl. And the ACC because of the contract. All that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. And 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 you know. 
that kind of let's not let's not kid each other. That kind of stuff happens, right? Yep. You pat my back, I'll pat yours. Um, and when they go into those committees to decide what they're going to do, they're, those guys are all friends. So there's not <laughs> there's no reason why things are going to. I mean, if if everybody's making money, they don't care. And and that's really sort of where I think that's where the playoff came from. As people started to get um, you know, the, the BCS made some of these other bowls lose its luster, which is why they created the New Year's Six and the Final Four. And if that starts to lose its luster, then they will create some eight-team tournament that I hate. But, you know, the, it, it's it's the way of the world, right? Nothing changes until it impacts the bottom dollar. Once it impacts the bottom dollar, then they'll make a change. And that's why begrudgingly, eventually, it will go to eight teams. And I will shout from a mountaintop that it's the wrong move, but that's that's well, for another day, I guess. I mean, if you look at this year, I guess then we're then the then the committee ranking really does start to matter, right? Yeah, because I mean, delineating, but and this is one of the things I think we should say is that the committee's job is not easy when it comes to ranking the teams below fourth. This year, the first, the top four, I think, were pretty easy, right? I mean, yeah, we knew Oklahoma was getting them the way it played out. Yeah, I mean, you knew who it was once, once, uh, once. Georgia Utah beat. went down and once George yeah. got beat. So, yeah, I think that was fairly easy. But arranging the teams 5 through 12 becomes very difficult just because of who beat who and who played who and who didn't play who. And, you know, you, you just mentioned Oregon lost to Auburn, but obviously plays nine conference games and Florida plays the two FCS opponents and Wisconsin can beat everybody except for Ohio State. So, you know, how, how and, does and, and And Illinois. And Illinois, <laughs> and then even Minnesota has an argument down there where you know they beat Penn State. Somehow Penn State's ranked higher than them, um, even though they lost. I think Iowa and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it becomes much more difficult to delineate the differences between the teams five through ten and maybe even five through fifteen than it does to delineate those top four. I think. So once they move to eight teams, it's going to be interesting because then it really would matter that Florida's ranked ninth, right? Yeah. At that point, you're sitting there going, "Okay, like this is this is a problem." And and uh, so, I, yeah, when they go to eight, it's going to be a mess, but they'll do it because it'll drive dollars. Absolutely, uh, Taco Claus uh, kind of in the same vein here. He says, "Disappointed in the committee." UGA got throttled. They uh, they say head to head isn't in all be all, but they sure act like it. Georgia should have free fall, and I don't know how you can look at Baylor, Wisconsin, or Oregon and say they are a better team uh, than Florida. So kind of going along a, a different range here, uh, Chicken Tender Pub Sub says, uh, I get to go to a New Year's Six Bowl game and then go home and sleep in my own bed. As for the actual game, yeah, we're playing a bad opponent, but at least we should be able to put together a performance similar to the FSU game. Mobile quarterback might give us fits, though. Yeah, we hit on a little of that uh, a little bit there, but you know, from the fan side of things, you know, the, the Orange Bowl is much better. Uh, you, you, a lot of fans can just drive down to Miami. Uh, you said, you know, Orange Bowl should be happy uh, selling a lot of tickets to, 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 to some Gator fans there. Uh, in comparison to the Sugar Bowl, and uh, don't get me wrong. Florida fans would show up in New Orleans pretty strong. And that's a that's a that's a that's a trip Gator fans have made many many times, and no complaints there for, for from Gator fans being able to party on Bourbon Street. But for the ease of travel there, will you know the, the Orange Bowl uh, works pretty well for the Gators and Gator fans. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are a lot of people who went to the University of Florida who live down in South Florida now. Um, so the point of sleeping in your own bed makes a difference, especially when it comes down to, you know, if you're spending a couple hundred bucks on tickets and you got three or four people going and, you know, you can say, hey, come stay at my house as opposed to, hey, we'll get a hotel and we'll eat out the whole time. And it's going to, you know, we're either going to have to drive out there or, and then that's the other thing, right? As a student who wants to go 
can go for 150 bucks. Just fill up a tank of gas, drive down to Miami, go to the game, <laughs> fill up your tank of gas, head back up north. And, uh, you know, it's a long day, but you can certainly do it. So I think it does open up some options for some of the fans to get there. And, and that's always a good thing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this is an exhibition. We're not, we're not playing for anything other than positioning. And so, um, you know, having that opportunity, I think, is a good thing. And though I will, I will say, I was looking at plane tickets down to New Orleans about halfway yeah. through the, halfway through that LSU Georgia game yesterday, just to see what it might cost. <laughs> so, you know, people who are fanatics like me, they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll fi- they'll find a way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, I'll go through a couple, uh, a few thoughts here before we uh, jump back in. Donovan German uh, says, "Great chance for an eleven win season. No ways." No way Virginia's line will stop Florida's defensive line. Should be a great crowd of Gator fans in Miami. Trash will throw for at least 300 uh, go Gators. And uh, part of that is you know, no no way they could stop Florida's defensive line. Well, I don't think Florida's defensive line would be at full strength. I don't think you'll have – I don't think Jonathan Grenard will play in the game. I don't think Jabari Zuniga will play in the game. Jeremiah Moon's already out. So you're going to see Diabate. You're going to see Bogle. You're going to see a lot of these young freshmen – uh, and and guys who haven't got a lot of playing time out there on that field in the Orange Bowl, I believe. And none of which should matter, right? Because right. Yep. like if, if that was happening and you were playing Baylor, then you might have an excuse. But you're playing Virginia, you're not. <laughs> if if the Twitter uh, if the Twitter sphere is any indication, people aren't necessarily jazzed about it because of the quality of the opponent. And so um, this is one where you should put your foot on their throat and end it early. So we'll see whether they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert Cousins says he's the other way here. Uh, number nine is fair. You don't get rewarded for sitting at home during conference championship Saturday. Do wish ACC wasn't so bad and played a better opponent. Uh, played devil's advocate there. Not every conference is the same. Uh, SEC, much better reputation. Florida only losses are to top five teams right now uh, there. So I, I do think Florida should have been above Baylor. I do think Florida should have been above Oregon. I do think Florida should have been above Wisconsin uh, there just because of those teams, uh, their losses. Their losses have to matter somewhere along the way too. Uh, so, you know, I, I just – I think Florida's better than those teams, uh, honestly. So um, Justin Wood says, I am disappointed they kept us at nine. I'm happy we're going to a big bowl. I am happy with who we are facing but would have preferred facing Oklahoma or, or Baylor. Yeah, that, that the big the Sugar Bowl Big Twelve matchup would have definitely been a, a fun game. Uh, Robert Guagliardo says another chance to make a big statement. Prime time, only game at the time. Big chance to show the world how how good this team is. Well, you 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 did hit on that just a little bit, but yeah, this is a chance for Florida go back to the first game of the season. Florida was the only game on uh, against Miami, so a lot of South Florida eyes were on Florida then. Uh, a lot of the nation's eyes were on Florida then. And now we get to the bowl game, and it is Florida, uh, and it's a, it's a Monday night game. It's the eight p.m. kickoff, and it is the only game on on TV at, at that time. So Florida will have the spotlight once again. Uh, this season, they had it a whole lot. Uh, as we said, the first game of the season was the only game, but all the game day appearances, all the big games Florida had this season, and one more time to go out there and make a statement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. I mean, I, I was sort of thinking about what what a – what a Sugar Bowl matchup versus Baylor or, or you know, another Big 12 team or, or the Orange Bowl for Florida would have meant. And if you look back to 2012 when Florida played Louisville in the Sugar Bowl and then obviously got, got smacked around pretty good by Louisville, who, who I think was a really good team that year. And then you look at the Orange Bowl that year. It was Clemson versus West Virginia, and that was the year where West oh, Virginia put up 70 on Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so you look at that and say, hey, that's not really going to be a very good game. Clemson should run away with this one, and then all of a sudden it goes in the other direction. 
but again, I, I think it, it, you know, 15 versus 23, I think is what that was. And, and it, so would Florida have been better off playing one of those teams? Maybe that year, does that lead into a, I, I do think that the Louisville, the Louisville game was sort of a, an indication of where that team was and that it had some limitations and, and uh, you know, I don't think Virginia is going to show those, but it's possible you get in one of those games against against Baylor, especially like you said, with some of the some of the defensive players missing, and it turns into a game that becomes a lot tougher than maybe you would have thought. So, um, just from a momentum standpoint, I think it's important to perform well in this game to show the recruits that you're that you're moving forward, that it's not you know everybody else, and then Florida, Miami, and Florida State, mm-hmm. that, that Florida is really a, a level, two levels, three levels above those other two. And I think this gives you an opportunity to show that. Yeah, you, you kind of mentioned it too. You know, bowl games, this is an exhibition. In the end, it is an exhibition. Wins don't do a whole lot for you, but losses can, for whatever reason, seem to <laughs> draw, uh, draw a lot more. They draw a lot more criticism. You won't get a whole lot of pats on the backs for winning, but you get a whole lot of criticism for losing. You go out and look at Georgia last year. Um, you know, in, in Texas, you know, they claimed they were back after beating Georgia last year, uh, and I guess I guess a lot of people, other people, did too, because it did help that team propel them into a, a top ten start this year uh, for, for Texas. And Florida was pretty much the same way uh, with with the Peach Bowl. I think if you're a team on the rise, I think winning a bowl game can do a whole lot, much like Florida last year and Dan Mullen's first year, able to get that win. You could springboard it. But now in in, in your second season, it, it, especially against a team like Virginia and in the situation Florida's in, you're kind of expected to go out there uh, and, and win. So you won't get a whole lot of pat on the backs if you do go out there and win. But, boy, you'll hear it if you lose. Yeah, well, and Georgia's actually a really good example, right, that last year – I think going into that Sugar Bowl, everybody thought Georgia was one of the top four teams, and then they Mm -hmm. go out and lay an egg against Texas, and people started chattering a little bit about Kirby Smart. And there had been some things that he had done earlier in the year that were a little bit goofy when it came to his coaching and and even you know pretty much over his entire career. But it wasn't until that Texas game where his team didn't show up ready to play that, that, that you really started to hear any of the chatter about you know, before it was he's building a behemoth and this is going to be difficult for anybody to compete with. It's the next Alabama. And I was like, well, maybe he's not as good a coach as Saban is on the field. And I think, again, this year, that game against South Carolina, there's a little bit of chatter. Now, obviously, that game against LSU yesterday, there's a little bit of chatter. And if he struggles again in that Sugar Bowl, there's going to be even more chatter from that Georgia side. And that can only help Florida. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- like you said, I think it goes both ways. I think I think just having a quiet offseason with a win in the bowl game is a lot more advantageous than any sort of chatter going on about whether guys are ready to play and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the other thing, I, we, haven't, we haven't really mentioned this either, but a lot of the guys who are who are going to be playing in this game, have family nearby and have oh, yeah. and have friends nearby. So just from the standpoint of wanting to go out and be ready to play, as opposed to maybe being out on the French Quarter the night before, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's probably going to be some incentive for the guys to show up and play hard in this one. All right, Will. So let's uh, everybody out there. Thank you so much uh, for sending all your uh, feedback there for for Florida and, and Virginia and the rankings and how that goes. Uh, Will and I will go take a look at the, some some of the some of the other bowl games that's out there. And of course, we'll start with the uh, college football uh, Final Four. Will, I mean, we we mentioned that we think they got the four right uh, here. Uh, I guess you could have made a case, you know, some some out there would have made the case for maybe Oregon since they won the Pac-12 over Oklahoma there. Heck, even Cole Kublik was out there this morning. I was listening. Uh, you go back to his Twitter feed. Cole Kublik had said uh, he could see 
where Florida should be number four instead of Oklahoma. And I was listening to uh, ESPN uh, Sirius Radio, and he pretty much was backing that up on the radio too. He was like, that number four spot, there was a lot of question there of who you could uh, who you could put there. And even the college football committee, I uh, don't necessarily know if I agree with it or not, but they said that there was a debate at number four, and it was between Oklahoma and Georgia. Uh, there are not, you know, that I don't know if they were trying to build drama uh, at all for that for that purpose. But uh, uh, Mullins, the uh, the chair for the college football playoff committee, had mentioned there was a there was there was some talk uh, for that number four spot and between Oklahoma and, and Georgia. So a lot of debate in that number four spot. But as you said, the way it played out, we pretty much knew that was going to be Oklahoma. So will Oklahoma and LSU? Uh, that would be one of the games in Ohio State and Clemson on the other side. That Ohio State-Clemson game will uh, – I tell you what, that uh, that could be one of the college football – since the play, college football playoff has has come along uh, a few years ago, that could be one of the better matchups we've seen since the college football playoff has started. Yeah, you know, I, I think when it comes to four versus five, you know coming into the season that you're probably only going to be able to lose once. And you know that it, you're probably going to need to win your conference. And I think that's what you see when you look at LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Those are teams that won their conference, and they only lost once, and three of them didn't lose at all. Um, you know, Florida had this opportunity. The, the game against Georgia was there to be had, and quite honestly, the game against LSU was there to be had as well. And at the and time, before, before, yeah, and before you go on there, watching the SEC championship game, watching what Georgia has done since that Florida game. Oh my God. I just, I don't, and I put this out on Twitter. I don't look back much. I really don't. I don't, I'm not one of those what could have been fans a whole lot, but this year in particular, uh, it is a what could have been type of season. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if that holding gets called against Tyree Cleveland against LSU and they're able to pump that one in and it's 35 35, even if LSU goes down the field and scores to make it 42 35, or maybe they kick a field goal to make it 38 35 and holds on. A one-score loss on the road against LSU just looks different than two touchdowns, especially mm-hmm. for people who didn't watch the game. Yeah, right. And and that's the reality. And then a one-touchdown loss to Georgia, but it really wasn't that close. I mean, Georgia. Uh, yeah, Florida, Florida fall back. You're right. Yeah, I mean, Florida's offense didn't play real well in that game, and and you know, sort of, um, you know, shot themselves in the foot a few a few times, and then apparently didn't have the right wristbands on for all their formations for the game. So blame to go around, obviously. But, you know, I think at the time that the LSU loss occurred because the Georgia game was still in front of you. And again, you know, the rules, one loss and you're going to get in if you, if you win the conference and, you know, Florida could have had the opportunity to play LSU yesterday. And I don't, the way Burrow's playing, the way yeah, LSU playing, yeah. I'm not sure anybody beats them. So I, I think maybe you you'd be, we'd be at the same spot that Georgia is, right? We'd be fifth, not, not ninth, but, right, right. um, but, you know, you would have had that opportunity if you just played a little bit better against Georgia. And that's really the lesson for next year, right, is that Florida's going to have to come out and in those big games. Up, so you can afford, clearly, a loss to a team like South Carolina. You can't afford to lose the game against the guy who keeps you out of the conference championship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, next year, if, if Florida's looking at it, you know, go ahead and come out flat against South Carolina. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you got to beat Georgia. And, and that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, so uh... – I guess, you know, quickly, Will, with the matchups, uh, as I said, Clemson, Ohio State. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Travis Etienne, those receivers that, that that Clemson has, going against Chase Young and the athletic, crazy secondary Ohio State has. They, you know, their, their secondaries up there with LSU, up there with Florida, year in and year out as one of the top secondaries in college football. 
man, just a matchup of that, just that matchup of Clemson's offense versus Ohio State's defense is uh, that's one I'm ready to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a this is a recruiting battle at this point, right? I yeah. mean, over the last three or four years, Clemson and Ohio State have been up there. Um, obviously, have very, very top tier quarterbacks. You know, would would Kirby have liked to have had uh, Justin Fields this past <laughs> weekend? You, you got to wonder. But uh, you know, he, I made he, that joke to my Georgia fans. I was like, "Why don't you just pick Justin Fields?" In? Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, Fields didn't play great against Wisconsin, especially no. in the first half. And you know, we'll see. I mean, he's still. A relatively young player, whereas, you know, Lawrence won the national championship last year by carving up Alabama's defense. So with a month to prepare, you expect Lawrence to play very well. And, and I suspect that Clemson's going to be ready for that one. So and I think that's reflected already. Clemson is actually a favorite when you look at Vegas, even though Ohio State is the one that the committee ranked higher. So, um yeah, I mean, Dabo's proven that he's really good in these games in the playoffs. Obviously, mm-hmm. Clemson has a lot of experience because they've been in it every year except for the first one. So um, I think Ohio State's a little bit of a disadvantage and Fields is really going to have to play out to win that one. And in the other matchup, Will, uh, you're getting a lot of kudos, and rightfully so. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, for, uh, look, he was winning the Heisman anyway, but after that play against Georgia last night where he's pirouetting and, and making Georgia defenders miss and making a throw that ends up going for – I think close to 80 yards and, you know, pretty much the, the game's over with at, at, at that point. But, man, uh, what Joe Burrow was able to do in the SEC championship game all season long, I just don't see Oklahoma having much. Uh, I mean, look, the, the only thing that can hurt LSU here is having this time off. You know, th- th- they do have an offense that's steamrolling and it's rolling and it's rolling and it's rolling. Uh, we've seen Oklahoma when they win against Florida in the bowl game. I think that, that time off hurt them a little bit. But also Florida had a really, 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 really good defense that really – that that helped in that process. Uh, Oklahoma does not have that type of defense. So even if LSU's offense takes a step back, they're taking a step back from like 10 to nine. <laughs> and, and and then they're going against a, a, an Oklahoma team that with Jalen Hurts, I think can give LSU some trouble early on. Uh, but if it turns into a shootout, give me that LSU offense all day long. Yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma's a good team. We saw this a few years ago when they played Georgia in the playoffs. Yeah. And that game was really close until – and really close all the way to the end. I think the game went into overtime. So yeah. Oklahoma usually can play with anybody offensively. That's been Lincoln Riley's calling card. The issue with Oklahoma is their defense hasn't been very good. Yeah. And, and as you said, at Clemson with Clemson and experience, Oklahoma's got a lot of it too that's in that college football playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not as if Jalen Hurts doesn't have experience playing in these sorts of games, too. And he's a different kind of quarterback than LSU's seen most of the year. I mean, the SEC has some has some pretty good offenses. And this year, the quarterback position has been a little bit rocked by injuries. You know, but the guy that I would say in the SEC who's like closest to to Jalen Hurts is probably Terry Wilson at Kentucky. And obviously, he didn't play against LSU this year. So and and Tua, but, you know, yeah, but Tua is different than Jalen Hurts, right? Jalen yeah. Hurts wants to run the ball. Tua wants to throw the ball, yeah. and, and then he'll run it when he has to. Um, Hurts is like a running back when he gets out there and starts running the ball. He's just a different cat when he's out there, and he's very different than Baker Mayfield. He's very different than Kyler Murray. So it's a different offense for Lincoln Riley, but certainly yeah. still. It's a pow- it's a, yeah, it's a power run game with a quarterback. Yeah, but, you know. Come on, man! Yeah. <laughs> like uh, LSU is just yep. a juggernaut when it comes to when it comes to this. I mean, I, I would be very, very surprised if LSU doesn't doesn't win this game. I, I think the teams that they've played in the SEC are better than Oklahoma, and I think that I mean, I think Alabama's better. I think I think head to head, I would probably take Florida, and you know, I think I take Georgia too. So you, you look at that mm-hmm. and say. 
uh, Oklahoma's ranked fourth because of the conference that they're in and because of who they've played. But I, I think LSU's played a much more difficult schedule, been much more tested. And like you said, I mean, Burrow this year has just been outstanding. There is, I mean, he was like the Heisman front runner from week three. And from then on has done nothing to, to harm that. He just goes out, throws for 350 yards every week, runs for 30 or 40 yards, and, and LSU wins by 30. So, um, you know, I, I kind of expect that to be the one ends up happening this time as he goes out, throws for 350 yards, runs for 40 or 50, and LSU's going to win by 30. Yeah. All right, quickly, we'll go down uh, some other bowl games of note. First of all, just in the SEC, uh, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. I mean, I was really hoping somehow, some way, somebody could pull off a Texas versus Texas A&M bowl game, Will. I mean, come on, what are, what are they doing? Um, Mississippi State, Louisville uh, in the Music City Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M is the Texas Bowl, by the way. Uh, there, of course, Orange Bowl, Virginia, and Florida. Belt Bowl, Virginia Tech, and Kentucky. So that uh, potential good matchup there. Uh, the t- teams that uh, will go out there with some strong defenses. But Foster's last game, too, by the way, a defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech. So you can see Virginia Tech probably trying to uh, send him out a winner. But uh, I see a kind of a slobber knocker type of game between Virginia Tech uh, and Kentucky there. Outback Bowl, Minnesota and Auburn. So Big Ten SEC matchup there. Uh, that should be a pretty good game. Citrus Bowl. You know, Alabama falls all the way down in the rankings, but you Alabama and Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. So uh, that could be a, a pretty good game, too, uh, there. You know, if Alabama were two, it would definitely be different. They would bl- beat the doors off of Michigan, but uh, I'm not so sure. You know, if they'll even be up for a type of game like this because Alabama is used to being in the college football playoff. Uh, the Sugar Bowl, of course, Baylor in Georgia there in New Orleans. So uh, that could be a pretty good game. We'll see if Georgia shows up better than they did last year. Uh, in the Sugar Bowl, and then the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl here in Jacksonville, Indiana, and Tennessee. I know a couple of Tennessee friends are coming in town for that one. Uh, it should be a fun time. Last time Tennessee was here, that they, uh, they they enjoyed uh, Jacksonville. Had a big win uh, in the Gator Bowl. Kind of, it was a little bit of a springboard for Butch Jones uh, to get things going at Tennessee. But will anything uh, catch your eye there as far as some SEC uh, matchups and bowl games? Yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens in that Michigan-Alabama game. I mean, Harbaugh's gotten an awful lot of criticism for not winning a big one. And you, like you mentioned, you should have Alabama coming in a little bit, maybe underwhelmed at where they're at. And, you know, obviously Mac Jones quarterback rather than Tua. And and does that combination then allow Michigan get, to get a win against a team with stature that, that Harbaugh hasn't been able to get in his time there? I mean, just the Ohio State, the Ohio State monkey's still sitting on his back, but certainly a win over Alabama maybe quiet things down a little bit there. Um, and then the Baylor-Georgia game, I don't know who's showing up at mm-hmm. Georgia. I mean, because it didn't look like they showed up much yesterday. And that was, you know, Obviously, that's sort of a function of LSU, but I mean, even it was seven nothing, and 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 in the first drive, Georgia had overthrowing the ball. You know, they well, had, I mean, they, they had plays there. Well, and the thing that I the thing that I really took from that game was and drop um, balls, drop balls too. Yeah, the thing I took from that game was the second drive. So it was after mm-hmm. it was after the fumble was was overturned back in LSU's favor, and they punted, and Georgia got the ball at like the forty their own forty four yard line, and drove into field goal range, and had like a third and nine or something like that, and decided to run a draw, and then they settled for a field goal, and then and then Rodrigo Blankship misses the field goal. And Burrow drives LSU right down the field, and it's 14 to nothing. You can't do that against a team that's better than you. You have to be aggressive. You can't call draws on third and nine. I think um, if – if Especially when a quarterback you're supposed to trust in that situation. Absolutely, but this has been a theme over the last three years is that they've gotten conservative on offense in big games, and it's cost them. And this time they got conservative early in the game 
you know, the last couple of years they've been ahead and then the other team has stormed back and they've gotten conservative. And this one, they just started out conservative and, and LSU blew the doors off of them. But, uh, you know, I, I am curious to see what Georgia team comes out in the Sugar Bowl. Because last year they lost this game really in sort of a heartbreaking fashion, obviously, with Jalen Hurts coming in at the end to, to lead to lead Alabama back and then didn't show up against Texas. And, you know, will they show up against Baylor? I'm, I'm really interested to see because the chatter – is quiet right now, but if you go out of the Georgia message boards, you're starting to see some mm-hmm. interesting stuff on those message boards, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> and if they go out and lose to Baylor, and if they lose in an embarrassing fashion, then I think the momentum of the Rick versus Kirby comparisons and the lack of development that they've seen in Fromm over the last three years and the fact that Justin Fields is playing for the championship and, you know, that Jake Eason is playing, was playing pretty well out in Washington. Like you start, you start sort of building those bricks together. And I think it starts to lead to a place that's good for the Gators. So um, that's one I'll be looking for closely and more than anything, monitoring the Georgia message boards right afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Kirby is getting slammed a little bit for the way he threw his wide receivers under the bus in the uh, post-game press conference. He too. should. So, he yes. should. That, that was McElwainian right there. That yeah. was, that was the plan was great. We just didn't execute level of throwing your team under yeah. the bus. Yeah. And, and, uh, and look, there, there, even if there is some truth to it, you don't do it. You do not do that in media. You don't, throw your kids under the bus like that. We talked about that with, you know, Felipe Franks and how he was so stand up for how McElwain was doing that time and time again. You know, we didn't get to hear from a, or I didn't get to hear from a whole lot of Georgia players last year or last night after that game and how they handled that, how they handled that as well, even though if it was brought up in relation to them, but just taking that part in of, in of by itself is, you know, even if it is true, you're the head coach. You don't, you don't throw it, you don't throw it on your players in the media that way. Well, and it's not like you got beat by five points yeah, or by seven points or even by two touchdowns. Like you got beat by 27 and it wasn't that close. Like if, if Georgia had even started to mount a comeback, LSU would have just put its foot back on the gas and it would have been, you know, it would have been 54 to 17 or something. But, um, you know, it, it, clearly the teams weren't even close. And that means, you know, you can say maybe Georgia is closer and just didn't play their best game, but that's on the coach. Mm-hmm. Or you can say maybe Georgia had a lot of guys injured and that's on the coach because he's supposed to bring in recruits. I mean, you know, it was sort of the same thing when when Florida lost to LSU and half their defensive line was missing. So they gave up all those running plays. It's like, well, you know, that's why you recruit because mm-hmm. like, you got to have guys who come in behind. And the fact that the guys that they've recruited, the fact that the guys that were recruited by Rick were the guys who were catching the balls from Fromm the last few years, and now the guys that are recruited by Smart are going out there screwing up, according to him. Well, uh, at some point, that comes back on Kirby. And, you know. And he said that a little bit, too, but he still threw him under the bus at the same time. Well, I mean, you could say <laughs> it's it's all my fault except for this, this, this. Right, this. Yeah. And everybody, everybody comes away realizing he doesn't really think it's his fault. And, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't suspect the recruits are going to look at that and not go to Georgia. Right. But it does make you start to wonder about a guy like Fields who goes someplace else, a guy like Eason who goes someplace else. Um, you know, even even the defensive end who transferred to Florida mm-hmm. going someplace else. You start yeah. looking at those sorts of things, and if that becomes a trend. And really, you can look at every game Georgia's lost over the last few years and just go, wow, is that a bad coaching decision? I mean, if you if you want to know how not to coach a game, Go watch Georgia, South Carolina this year. Like that is that should be a clinic for every guy who's going to be a coach to watch and go, ooh, don't do that. Ooh, don't do that. And you know, at some point it's going to fall back on him. And and I'm here for it, man. 
Yeah, um, kind of on relation to that, but we'll move on to Georgia here from, uh, from Georgia. But Morgan at uh, I'm assuming at Georgia Gator 02 brings up a good point. Kirby 0 and 4 versus Bama and LSU, but Dan was supposed to beat them every year at Powerhouse Mississippi State. You know, <laughs> and, and, and a tongue in cheek, you know, response there, and, and, and it's true. Look, when, when Dan Mullen was hired, we went through time and time again, of course, of of how hard it would be while at Mississippi State, to beat Alabama, to beat LSU, to beat those teams that are recruiting better than he is uh, and, and go out there. And look, at, at times he gave them some a lot of competitive matchups for being severely outmanned uh, against those rosters. But we've heard time and time again these last few years how this Georgia recruiting class is on, is on par with Alabama and, and maybe even better than Alabama in, in some spots. And, you know, and I even tweeted – I tweeted this yesterday too. When we're looking at this SEC championship game and – the two teams that were playing, it was supposed to be Georgia. If, if, if it wasn't Alabama winning the SEC championship game, it was supposed to be Georgia. It was supposed to be Georgia doing what LSU was doing uh, last night. They were supposed to be taking or taking over the mantle of the SEC if it wasn't Alabama. But here it is, LSU, and LSU doing it in convincing fashion as well. So, yeah, you know, it, Kirby, the last couple of years, has played Alabama, has played LSU 0-4 in those matchups. And, yeah, I mean – especially the last two against LSU, hadn't even been close. They went to Baton Rouge last year and got their brains beat in, got their brains beat in uh, in the SEC championship game. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these – coming into the season, uh, of course, I picked Georgia to win the SEC East there. Uh, probably will next year as well. But, I mean, a, a, a lot of these questions that are we're throwing towards Athens, they are uh, – they're, they're very valid. Yeah, well, most teams with his talent profile go two and two in those four games. Yeah. And coming into this year, he was 0 and 2, and it was both against Alabama. And they were, you know, obviously one was in the champion in the national championship game, and one was in the SEC championship games. You said, all right, well, you know, maybe, but, you know, going 0 and 4 in those, in those games now, that does say something about your team, says something about your coaching ability. And I think, um, you know, you, you want to see steps forward in your program. And that's maybe the thing that would be disturbing to Georgia is that they got to that national championship mm. level and then are starting to fall back from there. And you can only sustain it for so long. And, you know, he was able to sustain it with mostly Rick's players. But now that his players are coming in, are they developing or are they taking steps back? And, you know, to, to tie this in with Florida, I think you can say the same thing. If this game against Virginia is an opportunity to go 11-2 and two and one more win than last year, and that really sets you up for next year, the step is you have to beat Georgia. Like that is the step next yep. year where it's a successful season. And, and it's going to be difficult because most programs take a step back in their third year with their, with their coach. But again, you've got Trask coming back. You've got Emory Jones coming back. You've got your offensive line coming back. You have to place a lot of guys on the defense, a lot of guys, a wide receiver, but at the end of the day, sort of the core of what you were doing this year should be there. And, and it'll, so again, are you, are you, pulling back, which is what it looks like Georgia's doing, or are you pushing forward, which is what it looks like Florida's doing? And winning this game against Virginia sort of points in that direction that you're that you're closing that gap a little bit more and and putting Georgia fans on on edge a little bit for that matchup next year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So quickly, of course, FSU, uh, their bowl game, Arizona State in the uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Wow, what a, what a name there. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Miami and Louisiana Tech in the uh, Independence Bowl there. So mentioning FSU, Will, before we wrap up this episode, hiring Mike Norvell as their next head coach. Uh, of course, you know, Florida will play this team every year. Mike Norvell coming over from Memphis. We heard his name a little bit when Florida was searching for their last head coach uh, when they hired Dan Mullen. So you know, Mike Norvell coming, coming over from Memphis, uh, won the AAC championship 
Uh, he's never beat Central Florida. Uh, that's that's one detriment to his uh, to to his resume there uh, at Memphis there. But uh, I think he's a good game day coach. Uh, I think he knows how to put an offense together. But you know, no background in the state of Florida. Uh, he'll have to put a, he'll have to put a staff together that has a, a background uh, in recruiting the state there. So I, I think he's a good coach. And look, of course, staff hires are key uh absolutely they are but even more key for a guy like this who doesn't have much of a mullen had a background in the state of florida winning national championships with, uh, under urban meyer uh with florida coming over from mississippi state norvell not a lot of history in the state yeah i mean obviously that makes a difference when it comes to the lifeblood of your program especially considering and this is one thing that i think is with with Auburn where they are, Alabama where they are, and Georgia where they are, from a recruiting standpoint, Florida State's at a little bit of a disadvantage just because they're a little bit higher up in the state and closer to you know trying to pull guys out of South Georgia who maybe would want to go be Bulldogs. You know, Norvell's overall record's thirty eight and fifteen. He's zero three in bowls. Um, he has won the AAC West three straight years and then won the AAC this year for the first time. So. Um, he's won some things, which is something you couldn't necessarily say about Taggart is that, you mm-hmm. know, had a below 500 record and, and it's been a lot of his time rebuilding programs, not necessarily taking over programs that were decent and then, and then building them. And, you know, Florida state has a decent talent profile, six and six this year, five and seven last year. So, you know, not up to Florida state standards, certainly worth trolling for Florida fans, but not, not two and 10. I mean, he's not taking over a complete disaster there. I don't think, um, you know, he took over for Fuente there at, mm-hmm. at, at Memphis. And so the question that's, I think, legitimate is going to be, did he build the program or did he take over what Fuente took over and just didn't let it fall off? Um, well, you know, if he takes over Florida State where Taggart built it and just doesn't let it fall off, no one in Tallahassee <laughs> is going to be going to be OK with that. Now, I think they'll have receivers who are lining up in the right direction. I think they'll probably have 11 guys on the field. I think it's going to be a step up to what we've seen in Tallahassee the last few years. But um, you know, I think the jury's out. It's It's unclear whether he mm-hmm. is a home run hire. This is not something I know people have, you tweeted out something the other day about people comparing this to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer yeah. had a team in Utah that was yes. like being considered for the national championship yeah. um, and and went undefeated and, and had sort of a brand new innovative offense that people were wondering, was that going to work in the SEC? But certainly I think had the profile of a coach that you go, okay, this is an up and comer. And it won big at a program where he'd been a head coach. Norvell, has won, but does not have that profile, right? He's he's right. not going. He's not going thirteen to know at Memphis. He's there. Are oh, on that, well, yeah, and, and on that before you move forward, so you can finish up your thought. Uh, Mark Giannotto from the uh, Memphis uh, Memphis paper, there, Memphis News, two thousand sixteen. Norville's eight wins come against teams that would have combined forty one and fifty seven. His in two thousand seventeen, his ten wins um, versus teams that went out combined forty eight and seventy six. 2018, his eight wins came versus teams that went 30 and 66. Uh, this year, uh, bef- this was before the AAC championship game. His 11 wins came versus teams that are combined 66 and 65. So, either close to 500 or pretty terrible in in, in ways his stacking up his wins there. So, you're not trying to down too much, but we're also looking at this from a Gator perspective there. So, we're not going to give too much props to a guy who's going to be ne- FSU's next head coach. Uh, but uh, you know, he he does win. Uh, like I said, I do like his offense. He gets uh, he gets a lot out of his quarterbacks, but I do think that those those off field staff issues uh, are are key there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, so they lost the Boca Raton Bowl, they lost the Liberty Bowl, and they lost the Birmingham Bowl. So yeah. not exactly – I mean, you know, these are probably teams that from a Power 5 conference are 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. I'd have to go and actually look who they played in those three games. But when they played decent competition, they struggled. And, you know, but at the same time, they had players who were probably less skilled than the teams that they were playing in the bowl games. He's done very, very well in the AAC, um, you know, but this isn't the ACC. I mean, he's in the ACC now, so I suppose. Yeah. So I suppose maybe he does have a shot. Since he's in the yeah. ACC, but when it comes to competing against Florida, you know, you're not competing against the AAC, the AAC anymore. And and um, you know, so we'll see how he can do. So best of luck to him. And eight and five Florida State is an excellent thing for Florida, because then you can uh, you can recruit against them, and they're a quality out of conference win. So hopefully, he makes him a little bit better than Taggart did, but not too good. Absolutely. And one more coaching hire just because Florida plays in next year. The Lane train back in the SEC. Lane Kiffin to Ole Miss. And you know, like I say, I, I was surprised they made a change uh, there. I thought Matt Luke was building that program. Uh, they had they were building uh, pretty pretty good this year into the, the season finale uh, against Mississippi State. So I thought they'd give him one more year with that Rich Rod offense and the way it was clicking. But uh there's going to be some headlines and a lot of people who cannot wait for SEC media days as Lane Kiffin uh, is the guy in Oxford now, Will. Yeah, well, certainly Florida fans have a uh, yeah. have a deep hatred in their heart for Lane Kiffin. Maybe he'll stay in Oxford for longer than a year after he's fired <laughs> off all of his barbs. But now he seems like he's matured quite a bit. Yeah. I think his uh, his time with Al Davis was a little bit tumultuous. And then obviously the, uh, the fact that Pete Carroll left USC after one year, I think, was the draw to get him out of Tennessee. And you know, who knows what would have happened to the volunteer program if he'd been there for a while. Because he was recruiting at a pretty mm-hmm. good level there, and 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 I think the brashness was something that that the volunteer faithful appreciated until he used that brashness to walk right out of town. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think with Morehead struggling there at Mississippi State a little bit, and and uh, sort of what goes on in the West, I think Ar- you know with Arkansas looking for a new coach, I think he's I think Arkansas was sort of looking at Kiffin as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. the word on that is Sam Pittman's uh, offensive line coach for Georgia, ninety percent done deal. Uh, there for Arkansas. So Georgia would be losing their offensive line coach. Yeah, well, <laughs> Arkansas is going to have to hope he can bring some recruits their way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need quite a bit of help there. But yeah, again, you look at Ole Miss, I think they're going to be ahead of Mississippi State. I think they're going to be ahead of Arkansas. And the question is going to be can Kiffin raise the profile enough to where they can start competing with the Auburns of the world and the LSUs of the world and even the Alabamas of the world? Can, can he <laughs> replicate Hugh Freeze? Without the without shenanigans. The right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I suspect that they won't care, right? That, that as long oh, as he's bringing you. in as long as he's bringing in high quality guys, um, they they aren't going to worry about how those guys have made it there because that's been the history. And and yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it's a it's an interesting hire with the checkered pass that Old Mrs. had recently with compliance and some of those things. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Hey, Lane Kiffin makes the SEC more interesting, which makes it more fun. Which you know, since Old Miss isn't a big rival for Florida, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was Brett McMurphy who's re- reporting for Arkansas, a 90% done deal uh, for Sam Pittman um, to to be to to be the uh, to be the head coach at Arkansas uh, there. So a lot, a lot of people are saying it's you know pretty much a done deal. So uh, he's a big recruiting force there for that Georgia um, uh, for that Georgia. Uh, recruiting staff as well. So uh, that staff of Kirby uh, taking a hit there with Sam Pittman, a uh, big time offensive line coach going to be the uh, head coach there for Arkansas. So there you go. Look uh, at some coaching hires. And of course the bowl matchup between Florida and Virginia college football playoff as well. 
we'll be packing a lot into this episode. Uh, I know we, we changed the schedule around just a little bit. Uh, we knew the bowl announcement would be here uh, on Sunday. So go ahead and get an episode out uh, for our listeners out there. So uh, thanks for uh, changing the schedule around there and uh, looking forward to uh, talking about East Virginia Cavaliers in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, man. It's always exciting to have this. You know, remember a couple of years ago, we didn't have a bowl game to talk about. Oh, we were talking about changing coaches and yeah. midnight podcasts to look at Chip <laughs> Kelly and how good he was going to do. And and then, you know, trying to talk people down off the ledge when they hired Mullen. And obviously that's been a, that's been a successful thing for Florida. So, um, you know, <laughs> from where we were in 2017 to where we are now, a vastly different story. And actually I have, I have something coming out hopefully this week, looking at Mullen's first two years versus McElwain's first two years. I think people will be a little bit surprised at, uh, at the differences between the two. So uh, I'm excited to get that out there and, uh, and get people's feedback. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com where he'll release that article coming up soon. And on Twitter, you can find him at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>